Small Biz America. The Brain. If you're running a business of any size, you may not truly understand the deep value of making checklists and following them. Our guest on this segment is James M. Kerr. He's the author of The Executive Checklist, a guide for setting direction and managing change. Among other things, the book gives a range of examples and case studies around new organizational concepts that are being implemented in businesses today and how and why they are improving the companies that implement them. Let's welcome James M. Kerr. Jim, welcome to the program. Uh, David, it's great to be here today. Thank you. Absolutely. So why did you write the book? Well, you know what? It's all about kind of making life easier. And when you think about it, checklists are used all over the place from cockpits to operating rooms, even David Letterman with his top 10 list and Santa's naughty and nice. So I thought, you know, why not put together a book that's going to make the life of a C-level executive a little bit easier? And that's kind of where where the idea came from. What, what, in your experience, you know, broadly speaking, led to the the idea that you would write this and capture what you know about checklists? I mean, how did you connect with the idea of checklists? Yeah, you know, I, I use them all the time. Uh, when I'm working with clients and I'm preparing for a workshop or a briefing of some sort, I end up... Uh, uh, putting together lists myself to kind of help me guide a conversation or, or guide a day of, of, of work. So uh, I knew that the checklist concept was something that would, would hold water. And when I thought about it, as I sat down to actually start to put together the uh, pitch for the book, I realized, you know, there's an awful lot of similarities between the kinds of uh, questions and work that my clients have asked me to do over the years. So I thought, you know, that's sort of the uh, content for the book. So why not sort of translate all that stuff into checklists and then present those back, you know, through the book and sprinkle in some examples from industry and, and have something that's you know, referenceable and easy to use. Have you encountered CEOs or clients in your consulting practice, wherever, that try to operate extemporaneously and not use checklists? Tell me a little bit about about whether you've seen that and what you observe. This is sort of the, the other side of the coin, and then we'll dig back into the book itself. Yeah, you know, there's a, a, an awful lot of uh, people that kind of play off of their experiences and they don't necessarily go through the the actual effort of putting down a checklist they kind of go by feel Mm. um what it's like to work with those clients though sometimes is you know you end up recognizing that they lack the rigor and discipline to do some of the things that they really want to do and one of the things that that i think they rely on uh, me to do for them is to kind of bring that to the table and help them organize all the great ideas that they have into things that are actually achievable and i end up sort of pushing them into a place where you've got you know more of the checklist uh type of approach to to managing change right Right. It would seem that even if you are inherently creative, and that's uh, I'm a member of that club, that anchoring uh, your creative ideas around bullet points or uh, some kind of ordered sequence, whether it's hierarchical or it's uh, you know sequential, it just makes sense. And you can always show up as you uh, with your creativity, but just being able to tick through that list, I know it helps me. By the way, I'm also a pilot, and as a creative guy, it really helped me. The experience of, because it's all about checklists when you fly, uh, right. that, that thing just really 
really pulled me into a, what was initially not a comfortable zone, but it really, really improved my ability to, to function uh, in business. So uh, that, that's a great and prime example. Now, the book contains many examples from uh, industries that highlight your main points. Lay out a few of these key items, the book, the work, the executive checklist, and uh, then we can move to a few examples. Sure. You know, in, in regard to, to some of the examples that I bring out, there's one um, with H&M uh, fashion. It's sort of a fast fashion example. The concept of fast fashion is, isn't unique to H&M, but they've kind of brought it to a science. Um, the whole concept behind fast fashion, of course, is that you move as quickly as you can from the uh, catwalk to the stores. And what H&M did is they really put together a uh, network of over 800 factories uh, spread throughout Europe and Asia that allow them to take a, a design and get it out and into their stores rapidly. So hmm. when they know they've got something that's a fashion hit, they can turn it around and, and get it out there and merchandise it pretty quickly. No, and it's an example that I use in, in regard to transformation. You know, the things that underpin what H&M did was all about rethinking how they would actually produce product. Mm. Vail Resorts is another example that I use in the book. And it's there that they've kind of used advanced technologies. They, they have a, a, a product that they built called Epic Mix, which is really making use of um, radio frequency technology mm -hmm. as a way to sort of track and improve the uh, visitor experience. One of the things that they did with Epic Mix is it allowed Vail to uh, let their uh, skiers count how many lifts they use, how many runs they have per day, track how many vertical feet they skied, uh, and then they coupled that with an online portal and a mobile app that allows them to share this information and brag about all the great, you know, runs that they had during yeah, the day. Yeah. Yeah. And they and then they finally kind of introduced gamification to it, right? They 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 count points and then you kind of compete on points and you can, you know, get a uh uh, a trophy, if you will, and it's you know it's on your your mobile app, but you win you know you win the trophy for the most runs that day or the most mm -hmm. feet skied and that kind of thing. Yeah, and that's kind of a, a, another example from another part of the book that's about using advanced technologies as a way to compete and improve customer experience. So there's a couple of good, I think, a couple of good examples of some of the things talked about in the book. We're visiting with James M. Carey. He's the author of The Executive Checklist, A Guide for Setting Direction and Managing Change. Is there a good website to mention here? You can learn a lot more about the book and find some complimentary information at uh, executive-checklist.com. There's a way to order the book there. You can also get it, of course, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, those sites. But there's a lot of uh, additional information that can be found at executive-checklist.com. Now, when you're not writing, uh, authoring books like this, what are you doing? Tell me a little bit about your practice. Sure. I'm a management consultant. Uh, I'm a partner at Bloom Shapiro Consulting, which is in West Hartford, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got offices throughout New England. Um, and the work that I'm really charged with developing is the strategic planning, transformation, uh, project management uh, types of, of services that we deliver to our client base. Let's talk a little bit about J.C. Penney. Of course, uh, they've gotten some media, uh, for better and worse. Uh, Ron Johnson has a communication style, and at the time, uh, was not very productive for them. Talk a little bit about uh, J.C. Penney and that story. Yeah, David, that's a great question, and, and it is one that I write about in the book, and we're still seeing sort of the fallout uh, and follow-up to all of that. Yeah. 
as well. But yeah, Johnson, you know, was uh, he was kind of cut from the mold of his mentor, Steve Jobs. He's an Apple guy. He was credited with the design of the Apple stores and, and was really considered sort of a, a, a great marketing mind. And when Penny brought him in to replace uh, the retiring CEO, um, Mike Elman, mm-hmm. uh, they were really optimistic. The board was, you know, thrilled to have him and felt like this is going to bring Penny to the next level. And what ultimately happened was Johnson brought with him uh, sort of that micromanagement style that I think Jobs probably had when he was uh, running Apple and consequently played things really close to the vest and was really exclusive in his communication style, meaning that really it was only his inner circle that understood what his ideas and visions were. Yeah. And consequently, what happened was the folks that worked on the floor uh, that really had contact with the customers and, and, and so on didn't know what was going on. All they had heard about was that they got this great guy from Apple. And then, you know, they started sort of filling in the communication gap with all kinds of rumors about, oh, he must be laying people off. He must be redesigning the store to look like an Apple store and so on. And consequently, uh, the floor level personnel's productivity dipped and the customer experience went down with it. Mm-hmm. And, and then the, uh, consequently, you know, the, uh, the stock started to tumble. Right. He lasted, I, I, I guess less than a year and a half. And then they, uh, Penny's board decided to bring back Ullman, who was more of a hands-on guy, one that could communicate a vision, was more inclusive, was mm-hmm. even known to walk the floors of some of the stores and so on. And, um, you know, he's kind of turned uh, turned the the corner back for pennies, and their stock's starting to go up, and uh, things are improving. And you know, he's got kind of right kind of righted the ship, if you will. Yeah, it seems like Johnson's style by withholding information and not being entirely transparent systematically or system wide, it caused a lot of damage in this in this case yeah. because folks yep. were their imaginations went to work, and now they're they're operating from fear because they have unknown and. Uh, you know, when in fact, maybe a greater level of transparency actually creates more of the kind of leverage you, he was looking for, but didn't understand that's how it works and that's how people work. I guess I'm yeah. extrapolating from your story. Yeah, no, you, you're absolutely right, David. And, and, you know, to kind of play around with that a little bit more, you know, he missed the boat when it came to engagement, which is one of the subjects that I talk quite a bit about in the book. Um, so much of it, and sort of the subtitle of the book is, it's the executive checklist, but the subtitle is uh, Setting Direction and Managing change right and the bulk of the book is about getting people excited about being there and establishing a vision and helping folks see themselves in the future of the organizations that they're working in mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm really proposing that it's uh, senior leadership's responsibility um, to to do that to make it engaging to make it exciting to help people see themselves in the future make it bigger than themselves, you know, that kind of thing. Absolutely. If they feel like they're a part of something much larger in, in terms in a visionary way, uh, they'll probably be more satisfied in the work that they do, even though it's a subset of the larger organization. You know, almost sharing uh, the checklist, <laughs> and uh, there's a page in the book where you you do, well, it's very early in the book. You, this is sort of the, the, the executive list. Let me just read some of these while we're together. Establish leadership, build trust, set strategy, Engage staff. There it is, the one we were just discussing. Mm-hmm. Manage work as projects. Talk about that one. Is that about like sort of putting boundaries around a project? So almost gamification within 
the st- talk about that. Yeah, well, you know, uh, the intention there is to say that, look, when you're trying to transform an organization, it's really easy to become quickly overwhelmed mm-hmm. because you, you see all the things that have to happen in order to make the organization what you want it to be as a senior leadership team. Mm-hmm. So it can be pretty overwhelming. So the suggestion in that chapter is break things down into implementable chunks uh, call those things projects and manage the transformation as a portfolio of projects that will will move the organization from where it is today to where you want it to be over time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cuz you can't just ma- you can't just wave the magic wand and and presto bamo you're a new organization. It's going to take an awful lot of effort and and time and and you're going to need some early successes and those kinds of things. So introducing a project portfolio concept is a way to to do that in a more controlled uh deliberate way that's going to help you bring your people along with you as you as you transform the enterprise. Yeah, and as you do that, uh, you're you're dividing it into a checklist. I mean, this is a tactical set of right. of, of yep. small chunks, as you call them. That uh, it's one thing at a time. You know, small little bites. Uh, listen, uh, pilots want to be safe, and that's a great idea. But unless you have a list of things that make the plane safe, it doesn't get you anywhere. Renovate the business, which I guess is sort of a universal idea, right? Yeah, the thing with that with that chapter, and it's really it's really one about transformation as a practice. Um, what what I'm saying there is, it's not enough to just change for change's sake. You'll, you'll hear a lot of management consultants and a lot of industry, you know, gurus talk about, oh, we can constantly change, continuous improvement, et cetera, et cetera. And that's all great stuff. But you have to, I think, go back to sort of the root cause. Why do you want to change to begin with? And, and the bottom line there, and I bring this out in that chapter, is that you really want to transform so that you can compete. And what I what I go on to describe there is that there's really a universal set of things that every organization competes on. They basically want to be the provider of choice. They basically want to be the employer of choice so that they can get the best and brightest people to work with. And they ultimately want to be the investment of choice. Even if it's a owner or operator type of business, a smaller business, you want to be the business that, that you're, you want to put your money into. Yeah, right? yeah. So it's those three dimensions, regardless of who you are and uh, you you want to make sure that your transformation programs are aimed at making sure that whatever you're changing, whatever uh, improvements you're making, mm-hmm. are about making you the provider of choice in, the, in your niche and market, the employer of choice, or the investment of choice. And those are the things that need to be in the forefront of your mind. It's not just change for change's sake, as someone like a, a Michael Hammer once described, you know, in a Harvey Business Review article many years ago. It isn't really about that. It's having a context and making sure that everything's driven to be more competitive. You have a chapter here called Align Technology. We recently did a, um, an interview around that subject. Talk about your view of, uh, is there misalignment in organizations? And uh, what do you well, see? Yeah. Um, and in fact, David, I did listen to that interview. It was a good one. The thing that, that I'm writing about there is that it's really, in many ways, technology is sort of table stakes. It used to be many years ago that you could uh, employ a, a technological advancement and gain some market share and be, you know, able to to de- you know devastate your uh, your uh, competitors, you know, by using good technology. But everyone now has the ability to move pretty quickly with technological change. So it's more about just remaining competitive. Yeah 
more than anything yeah. else. Yeah. And, and, and what the chapter's about is just sort of pointing that out and saying, hey, look, it's not that competitive leap that you're looking for. It's making sure that you've got the environment that allows you to take advantage of the next advancement in technology. And it's really, you know, when you think about it, it's sort of uh, uh, a few things that right now are very high. You know, the, the social Technology certainly is is something that you got to keep your eye on and be part of. So exploiting social media, cloud-based computing, another one, and I, I write a lot about that in this book. Yeah, and then analytics, you know, and, and and all the stuff around big data, and then ultimately mobile. And you know, the reason is you got a whole generation of consumers coming up now with Gen Y. And even some of the kids younger than that that are going to be looking to do business using little handheld devices, and businesses need to respond to that kind of stuff. And and that's kind of what that chapter is about. It's it's just to help people realize that it isn't a matter of if; it's just a matter of make sure you'll be able to uh, take advantage of the stuff that's out there as it emerges. Great. And a couple more chapters there that I'll I'll leave uh, for the readers to discover on their own. But uh, fascinating stuff in terms of the content of the book and extremely comprehensive, uh, you know, really taking the checklist as an anchor and and, and, then extrapolating from that the predictive change that can be enabled by that sort of a discipline. As you close the book, you're sort of painting what we'll call a bold vision for the future of business. And and I wanted you to just spend, as we close out here, Talk a little bit about what you see in terms of uh, the changes needed to appeal. We talked about mobile a moment ago, and that's somewhat consumer-oriented, but from an internal organizational perspective, what do you see coming around the horizon? Well, uh, again, a great question there, David, and thank you. Um, but in, in regard to the vision for the future, I, I think we're in the midst of, of great change right now. The early 21st century certainly is providing challenges that we hadn't had before in the business world. And things like flipping the pyramid, changing the organizational structure where you've got frontline personnel that you're really investing in. They're the ones that are defining the customer experience for you. They're the ones managing the problems that come up in a typical workday and so on. Flipping that around a bit and placing the emphasis there rather than at the C-suite is one of the major uh, transformative changes, I think think that we can continue to expect to see. Uh, you already got examples from Zappos and Valve Corporation, software company out in, in, in Washington State, mm-hmm. that are moving to a flatter organization structure, more team-based, that kind of thing. And I, I think we're going to see more of that. It just makes a lot of sense. It, it quickens decision-making. It allows you to respond quickly to changes in the marketplace and so on. Another thing that I talk about in the book in, in regard to the vision for the future is more along the, the trend of a, a freelancer-rich sort of operating model. I'm imagining that as Gen Y continues to get firmly into the workforce, that there's gonna, going to be more uh, of um, the talent being willing to work on part-time or project-based work, you know, as a basis of work, rather than joining a a company per se and and intending to have a 20-year career. I think you're going to see a lot more freelancers out there that are willing to sell their services to the next available, next highest bidder, that kind of thing. And consequently, the implication for bigger businesses is that they've got to create operating models that allow for freelancers to come in and out of it and flex as necessary. And then finally, I think, you know, just more along the Gen Y stuff, you know, you're going to have to see more 
uh, changes in the way uh, businesses manage for this next generation of worker. You get, you know, lifestyle benefits. I think are going to be a big uh, thing that these Gen Y workers are going to call for, and and they're looking for things like concierge services and childcare and elder care and different kinds of benefit packages than what the um, previous generation of worker were, were, were probably calling for. Yeah, uh, and and those are some of the things I think business has to be prepared to deal with and accommodate and you know prepare for yeah brilliant jim the book is the executive checklist a guide for setting direction and managing change we've been visiting of course with the author james m kerr two websites to mention www.executive-checklist.com for more information as well www.bloomshapiro.com that's b-l-u-m shapiro.com just like it sounds jim thanks for joining us on the program hey david thanks a lot Small Biz America. The brain. Online at smallbizamerica.com. Small Biz. Small America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.